My name is Stephen and I am one of the small group leaders in Emmanuel. Aren't the small groups great? Yes, they are. And I just want to make that pitch. Uh, I'm leading one in Framelgate on the Newton Hall, that kind of side of town, which is perhaps alien to some of you, but there is more to Durham than this. And that's not too much of a dig. But the small groups are really important as part of our life as a church. And if you are here as a member and you're not in a small group, can you, no, not put hands up, but I really just would so strongly encourage you, it is such a big deal to be part of a group of brothers and sisters, to share your life with them, to let them share their lives with you. It is a great thing. Today, we have no formal preaching series, but after praying and after numerous different confirmations, I felt this, that we are going to read together and look at together the first chapter of 1 Peter. The first chapter of 1 Peter. But I want to give you a little bit of context first, then we're going to read the passage, and I'm going to make some observations, then we're going to come back into some prayer and worship. So that is our plan, that is where we are going today. So who is this guy? Peter. Peter He didn't write very much in the New Testament. He wrote two letters, but a lot is written about him. He's one of those key guys in the Gospels. He was one of those first disciples that Jesus calls to himself. He becomes one of the three kind of inner circle of Jesus' 12 disciples. And he does all sorts of different things with Jesus. He has faith to walk on water. Nobody else does. But Peter does. Peter walks on water with the Lord Jesus. He has faith to walk on water and then his faith evaporates before our very eyes, so much so that confronted with a servant girl, when his accent is picked out, he denies Jesus as well. This is the Peter that has a great revelation of just who Jesus is. God gives him this amazing revelation. And then a couple of verses later, he manages to do the very work of Satan. And when Jesus says, I'm going to the cross, no, no, you're not, says Peter, inspired by Satan. One minute he has revelation, the next minute he is inspired by the pits. He is a man of these two halves, a very mixed up guy. But then comes the Holy Spirit. And this man who was so afraid once upon a time that he denied his very Lord who he spent all these years with, He's so transformed with the Spirit, he stands up and he preaches to thousands of people and people get saved. This is the transformation that we see in this very man. And life goes on and he endures persecution. He gets a vision from God about various creatures descending and he interprets this. Uh, Okay, the gospel is now open not only to the Jews, but to the people who aren't Jews. Technical word, Gentiles. When I was growing up as a kid, they always mentioned this in the school assemblies. I had no idea what they were talking about. Gentiles. But it's essentially probably most of us. People who are not Jewish ethnically. Peter understands this gospel is for everyone in this world. And then later, when Paul is referring to to Peter, he says, well, You've got this ministry to the circumcised. You have this ministry to the Gentiles. But here in this letter, he's writing to the Gentiles. Various little flags throughout the letter you can find in your own time. 
I won't tell you now, but he's writing to non-Jewish congregations, people who are scattered in modern-day Turkey. If you want to visit, I'd recommend it. It's good. <laughs> Come and find me later. So he writes around about 60, 62 AD. He, he's writing from a place called Babylon, which is code for Rome. He's in Rome, 60, 62. He's about to die two years later. 64 AD. Prophesied by Jesus, this is how you will glorify me. And he dies probably under the persecution of Nero. Now, before we kind of pitch off, if you want to have the big picture and, and that's it for you, and that's all you've come for, the worship was great, forget about the word. Uh, I, I was just waiting for the coffee now. If that's you, and then you want to take away one thing, it's this, about my passage. Peter wants to remind them about salvation, and he wants them to walk in the light of it. That's the simple picture. So, if that's what you want, that's all you've got. <laughs> Now, let's read this passage. So, we're reading 1 Peter 1. If you've got a physical Bible, it's such a good thing. It's got maps in the back and all sorts. You can follow through with it. Otherwise, you can follow on this screen, which I will be reading off. So, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though for now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you haven't seen him, you love him. Though you don't now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what personal time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they weren't serving themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Therefore, 
preparing your mind to action and being sober-minded. Set your hope completely on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways of life inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly, from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Amen. 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 Now, fear not. It's quite a long passage. I'm not going to be touching on all of it. I'm just going to kind of pick out some highlights to, to share with you. But firstly, who are these people? Who are they? Well, apparently they are resident aliens. And I love that term, resident aliens. They are scattered throughout modern-day Turkey. They're aliens. They stand out. They stand out. And I wonder, and uh, I'm going to let you into a little secret, I wonder if you can realise that actually I am not from the Northeast originally. (laughs) Maybe some things give me away. Perhaps one of this last verse, they all flesh is like grass, I said. If it was Alan... It would be grass, yeah. No. Now, technically, that is the correct pronunciation, but please just bear with me. So, I'm, uh, I'm actually was born in Southampton. My mum was from London, my dad was from Derbyshire, so there's a little bit of, if you think that Derbyshire is north, then okay, that's fine. But I know what it is to live, if you like, in a little bit of a foreign land. I'm not saying this is too foreign, but a little bit of a foreign land. People can see that I'm from somewhere else. Occasionally the questions are, where are you from? (laughs) And then it's a little bit of an explanation. But beyond this, we spent several years of our life living in Turkey, and that definitely was much more of a foreign land. When you're living in a different country, and many of you have had that experience before, where you haven't got the passport of that land, then you have to have something called a residency. And we would go and we would apply for our residency, we would apply at the Ministry of Aliens. 
the Ministry of Aliens. And so it's like every time you go, you are an alien. You're an alien. You're coming here. We'll let you stay for a year. You can stay for a year. Back again. We'll let you stay for a year. And so on. And it's always in your mind that I am not really at home here. I have another place where I'm living. So what about these guys that Peter is addressing? The aliens, the resident aliens, scattered. Well, why, why were they aliens? Why were they scattered? Was it because, harking back to the Old Testament, when the God's people were scattered into Babylon, was it because they'd sinned against God for some reason and that's why they'd gone off? Well, no. They were scattered. They were scattered throughout this land. They were aliens because for them, their real residency was somewhere else. Their residency was in a spiritual home. They weren't physically scattered from their places where they were living in their houses and off you go somewhere else. They were scattered in their hearts. They were aliens in their hearts from this world in which they were living. They were aliens. And they were happy to be aliens. But it's not an easy thing to live as an alien in a foreign land. It's a little bit hard, is it not? If you've ever done it. A little bit hard. And there's this longing in your heart. Where's my home? Where's my home? Where's my heavenly country? On my gravestone, which my wife says is far too expensive to actually have, so if I pass away first, then maybe I wouldn't even get one. But on my gravestone that I would like to have, I would love this verse. And that's, I think, the, the advantage of gravestones is you can, write good, you can write good things on it. Like, I said I was sick, or stuff like that. <laughs> but on my gravestone, I would like this written. It's from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8. At home with the Lord. I'd love that. At home with the Lord. That's my home. I'm now with him. So these are the pilgrims. They are wandering in this world. But they are also the chosen people of God. And that is a big Old Testament thing, isn't it? God's chosen people. But hang on a second. Aren't these, these guys aren't Jewish, but they're God's chosen people? Well, yes. Because God's chosen people is now a lot bigger than what we ever thought it ever was. And how are they God's chosen people? Did you spot the Trinitarian reference there in the text? They're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. The foreknowledge of God the Father. According to the, let me put it this way, the holying of the Spirit. And they're chosen according to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. Foreknowledge of God the Father, that can send our minds into a spiral very quickly. And I am not a great, very great philosopher, but I think it's supposed to mean this. That we are to draw comfort that God in his foreknowledge knows his people. And as his people, we are safe in his hands. The holying of the Spirit, that's where we're going. And we'll see that a bit later in the text. But this, to obey Jesus Christ. Interesting. To be his disciples means to what? To follow in his footsteps. To listen to what he said. To put that into practice in our life. And then to be sprinkled with his blood. I've never been sprinkled by anyone's blood. That would be a bit of a strange thing, no? But what does it mean? Where's it getting this idea from? Well, in the Old Testament, a couple of people were sprinkled with blood. A priest, when they got ordained, sprinkled with blood. A leper, when he was cleansed, 
sprinkled with blood. The people at the inauguration of the Old Covenant sprinkled with blood. Every year on the Day of Atonement, the altar sprinkled with blood. And the point is this. Blood has been shed. Someone, something has died. And that, I'm taking that for myself. The sprinkling of the blood, I want that blood. I am saying that sacrifice is for me. Jesus dies. We've had it throughout the service already. Jesus dies for you, for me. He does die. He really does. Sprinkled blood upon us. We need it because something is wrong with us. But God makes the provision. So what about this salvation? I said, what is this? And uh, for, uh, for those of us in the room, it, I think the important thing is to appreciate what we've actually got. Give you a little bit of an example. One of my friends, he turns 18. Anyone about to turn 18? Maybe anyone here? No one? Well, there's a couple of hours. I'm not looking at you. <laughs> Come on, you gave your age away earlier. So, one of my friends, he turns 18. He gets a present from his grandmother, probably a card. And what is it? It is lifetime membership for the National Trust. Now, that's a uh, Actually, a very expensive present. I looked it up this morning. It's uh, £2,020 exactly, if anyone's interested. Uh, later, perhaps. But £2,020, an expensive present. But for an 18-year-old, probably not very exciting. For an 18-year-old, I'd rather have the £2,000. Thanks, Grant. Uh, I'd rather do something else with that. But no, he gets this present. But then time goes on. Gets married, has kids. The years tick on. And suddenly, oh my goodness, what an amazing present that was. The years tick on. Oh my goodness, what a great present. We've got salvation. Oh my goodness, look at the depths of this. I didn't realize. I didn't realize what I had. And now I'm going down deeper and deeper and deeper. Oh Lord, what have you done? What have you done? So we want to grasp, this is why we come. We come together every week to try and, we know, yeah, of course we know the gospel. But we want to know it better. We want to know it deeper. We want to have it stamped in our heart, harder and harder. So what is this gospel? They are born again. They're born again. And Peter puts himself in there. We, we're born again. See, being a Christian, it's not about ticking a box. It's not about, you know, you have those ethnicity questionnaires or whatever. Where are you from? You know, what's your background? What's your religion? Oh, Christian. I'll tick that box. I was born in the UK. I must be a Christian. Tick the box. Or, oh, I'm a very nice person. I must be a Christian. Christian principles, etc. That is nothing to do with this, is it? We are born again by his mercy. By his mercy. Not me, not me doing anything. By his mercy we are born again. One of my friends, he said, well, when people ask me what type of Christian you are, I always say, I'm a born again Christian. Because I want them to know I'm serious. I want them to know I'm serious. That's quite a good way to put it. Because you can say, oh, I'm a Protestant Christian, I'm a Catholic, I'm a Church of England, I'm a Baptist, whatever. And he says, forget about all that. (laughs) I'm a born again Christian. It's a good kind of segue into direct evangelism because then they're like, what's that? I'll tell you what that is. And so on. Uh, My friend was a very fiery evangelist. Great guy. 
But uh, anyone heard of Keith Green? Such a good singer. Dead with the Lords at home. But he wrote some really good music in the 70s and 80s, which probably has circled back to be perfect for this time now. And he wrote one album, 1978, No Compromise. It's got a great lyric in one of the songs. Most people don't find out till they're half dead that they need another life. Most people don't find out till they're half dead that they need another life. Because being born again means that you have this one life and you're born again. There's another one there. Another life. Not that you live two lives in parallel. I have my old life. I have my new life. No, 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 no. This old life of yours is dead and buried in the ground. You have got a brand new life in Christ. Jesus says you can't enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are born again. We're all, we're born again. Which is an amazing thing. And we're born again into an inheritance. Peter, when he's writing, he says three things about this inheritance. They all start with A in Greek. I'm hazarding a guess. You guys don't know much Greek. I don't know much Greek. So let's do the English, but I'm twisting it a little bit, okay? <laughs> so this is in verse 4. The inheritance is unperishable, undefiled, unfading, reserved in heaven for you. How solid is that? How, how amazing is that? This isn't something that people can rob and take away from us. It's not something that we ever lose. The people in the Old Testament, they had their land, did they not? The promised land, did they have it? And then they lost it. It was taken away from them. They were ejected from the land because of the way that they lived. But now, here is the promise. This inheritance is reserved in heaven for you. Do you know this song? Swing low, sweet chariot, coming forth to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming forth to carry me home. Where's your home? Where's your inheritance? Where is it? Is it in this land, in this world that we look around? Oh yeah, it's here, it's here, it's here. This is my patch. No. Peter is enjoying You've got this inheritance. No one's going to steal it from you. It's never going to fade. It's not going to be gone in the morning. It's there forever. It's for you. Have your vision set on that. Have your vision set on that and you'll act differently in this world. And then he says, well, there are trials as well. Testing trials. At this point, nobody likes this. Nobody likes the area of trials, especially those students who have just done their A-levels with GCSEs. Well done to you. Want to do it again next week? No, I don't think you do. Who wants the trials? Who wants the trials? And yet, these trials apparently are for our good. They're trials. Because they show the quality of something very important. The quality of what? Of our faith. And I think Simon knows all about this. See, just before Jesus was taken away to be crucified, he says his prophecy in Luke 22, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan's demanded to sift you men like wheat. But I pray for you, Simon, that your faith won't fail and when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. So this is what Jesus prays for, Simon, that your faith won't fail. And what happens? He's around the fire. It's a charcoal fire. Everyone's there. They wait. Jesus has been arrested. 
servant girl comes in. Weren't you? Weren't you with one of his? Weren't you one of his disciples? Hey, no, 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 no. That's not me. Yeah, I'm sure it was you. Your accent gives you away. You say grass, not grass. I'm sure it was you. No, 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 it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Third time. It wasn't me. The cockerel crows. And he's in tears. He's broken. He's so contrite. Well, that doesn't look very much like me to someone whose faith hasn't failed. But Jesus says it is. And the point is that when we're tested, however bad it might look, there's still there a seed of faith. That's all you need, brothers and sisters. You just need a little seed of faith. Think everything's gone away? Everything's gone? I'm, my, my faith is so futile, so worthless? No, no, no. Seed of faith. That's all you need. Because this seed of faith, we're going to see at the end of this chapter, the seed of faith endures forever. It's not perishable. It will not fade. That's what Peter had. That's what we have too. But I, I want to ask you, what is precious to you? Is it your, is it your house? You've got a nice house? Maybe you have a nice caravan. Maybe you have a nice phone. I haven't got a nice phone. Maybe you've got a nice car. Maybe you've got a nice education. If there's any Durham students left here. Maybe you've got other nice things that are precious to you. But to God, what is precious? Your faith. Doesn't say your, from God's perspective, our building is not precious. Sorry. Our building, our car, these things are not precious. Our faith, that's the precious thing. That's the precious thing that he wants to have refined. He'll allow those trials to come by us so that that precious thing will shine. So that precious thing is there. That precious thing endures. Tested by fire. We don't really know very much testing by fire. Much persecution in this country yet. Maybe it's coming. But in other places, people know it very much. They're not waiting for persecution to come. They know it now already. Brothers and sisters in Nigeria, brothers and sisters in China, brothers and sisters in Iran, they know what persecution is. They know that. They're not looking forward to it. But they also know that these things, these persecutions, when they come, they test their faith. And what is left is something more precious than gold. More precious than gold. It's genuine. It's the real deal. And I pray for myself, I pray for us that we'll know that, that our salvation, that our faith is true, is real. And this is a salvation foretold. It's foretold by Old Testament prophets and they prophesy of grace. That's interesting. They prophesy of grace. See, when we think of the Old Testament, we can often think, oh, harsh God, mean God, cruel God. And yet the Old Testament prophets are looking with very different eyes and they're finding grace. They're finding grace in these Old Testament prophecies. Brothers and sisters, I just encourage you, get hold of your Bibles, read the Old Testament as much as the New There is good stuff there to be found about Jesus. It's not written for your reference point later in heaven. When you get there, ah, yes, when I get to heaven, that's when I'm going to read Habakkuk. It's going to be great. I can have so much time. (laughs) Apart from when Habakkuk comes and taps you on the shoulder. (laughs) Hey, what do you think of my book? (laughs) Oh, sorry, didn't get around to it. What? How much time did you have? Well, you know, there's so much good things on Facebook. (laughs) 
But in the light of this salvation, how are we to live? How are we to live? Well, we're called to holy lives. Holy lives. He says, prepare your minds for action. Actually, the, the, the Greek translation here is, gird up the loins of your mind. And I thought the best English translation would be, put your big boy pants on. <laughs> or girl pants, whichever you fancy. But put your pants on. Get ready. Grow up. As obedient children, we're in a new family. We're in a new family, which is why I love to say brother, brother Angus, brother Alan. I love that. <laughs> it's just in me, perhaps from living in Turkey. But it's something else. We are family. We are family and we have a father in heaven who is holy. Be holy in all your behavior. What? No, hang on a second. All of my, no, no, what about some of my behavior? Some of my behavior. Not all of, no, no. Be, be holy in all of your behavior. That's fairly all-encompassing. If you have a question, well, does he really mean this? Then the answer is yes, he does really mean this. And then Peter quotes, he quotes from Leviticus 11.44. In the midst of laws about things to wear, things to eat, different ways to live, then there's this verse. You shall be holy in Leviticus, for I am holy. See, the law demanded holiness in the Old Testament. In the New, grace inspires it. We're inspired to holiness. And the thing is, you know, my experience of, of drawing near to God is that as I draw near, I'm very painfully aware that I'm not at all holy. And I'm sure that Peter had that same experience too. Do you remember how Peter first met Jesus? He was in this boat. Come on, let's go, let me use your boat, says Jesus. And off he goes and, G- and Jesus preaches from the boat. And then, have you had a catch? Oh no, put your nets on the other side. And they catch all this fish. And then Peter's reaction is, Peter's reaction is this, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Go away from me. When when we come face to face with who Jesus is, suddenly everything comes very sharp. We see things very clearly. We see the sin that we never knew we had is there in the fall. And that is a good thing. Because we've, we had it all along. We just didn't know we had it. And now we can see it more clearly to, okay, Lord Jesus, you are worth so much, I'm just going to leave this aside. The stuff I was dabbling in, the way I was living, that doesn't count anymore. Because I can see you so clearly. Well, that's Peter, isn't it? He sees Jesus. Go away from me. I'm a sinful man. He knows who he is. He knows who the Lord is. So, these former lusts, the way that we've dabbled in the world before, we're not to continue in this kind of stuff anymore. This isn't just at the start of the Christian life either. It's, it's continue, isn't it? We keep on going in holiness. I want to give you a couple of holiness tips, special holiness tips from me. Take them away uh, for your own reference later. One, keep short accounts with God. Keep short accounts. You sin, you know you've done it, repent. Don't just like, oh, I'll repent of it tomorrow. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow is not a day of the week. If you sin, then repent quickly. Get your definitions of what sin is from the Bible and not from the world or YouTube or wherever else. Those things will change from day to day, from week to week. But the Bible is unchanging. It is here. Yeah, we need to interpret it. Of course, 
we need to understand it, but it, this is where we're drawing our Bible, our definitions from, and not from over here. Watch out for the hardness of your heart. Watch out. And that's, uh, I definitely see that one. I've sinned, I'm like, oh no, that wasn't really sin. My heart is hardened. And that can go to other places. Last tip. If you're stuck in something, and we've had this earlier from, uh, from Sarah, if you're stuck, reach out and reach out early. Reach out, reach out early. All of us here, everyone in this room, you struggle with something. You struggle with something, and it's all different from different people. Some things you can sort out yourself, just you and God. And that will be different from one person to another. Maybe someone struggles with lust, and they can sort it out with God on a, on a routine basis. No problem. Other person, it's a big trap and it holds them tight and they just can't feel they can get away. Get out. Reach out. Reach out early to a brother or a sister. Some things, we just got to confess. And there is that exhortation in Scripture. Confess your sins to one another. Be healed. Because sometimes we're just caught in stuff. We want to be free. Of course we want to be free. But it feels like our confession to God, I'm Lord, I'm sorry for this, I'm sorry for this, I'm always sorry for this. Help me change. That's when we've got to reach out. Reach out, reach out early. Go to a brother or a sister, someone you trust. Say, actually, I'm really embarrassed to say this, but can you pray for me? I want to confess this. It's so important. It's so important. Doesn't, don't we get this from the, the doctors in the NHS? You know, if you feel a lump or whatever, you, what's the advice? Go early. Go early. Don't wait. Don't wait for the years to pass and then just go early. Something's up with your life. Sort it out quick. So, where am I going? Verse 18. They're called to recognize the cost. You know, this redemption, it's a big deal. As has been said already, Jesus died for us. He died for us. He died to buy us back. That's the whole concept of redemption. We are redeemed. There is, we were in slavery over here. He comes, he buys us back, and now we're free. And now we're free. And there's a sense of indebtedness. We live our lives now in debt to him. And that should motivate us. There's a film I watched recently. I would recommend it to you. It's called The Covenants by Guy Ritchie. Bit of a war film, if that's your, if you're, not, if you're okay with that. But the scene is, there's an American soldier based in Afghanistan and he is rescued from death from the Taliban by his interpreter. He goes back to the States, his interpreter, rescuer, is left in Afghanistan, left vulnerable, left to die. And there's this American, and now he feels this terrible sense of debt to this man who's rescued his life. And there's this great line, in the film, when he's kind of wrestling with this sense of what to do, how can I help? He says, there's a hook in me, one you can't see, but it's there. There's a hook in me. And my prayer for us is, there's a hook in me. Let there be a hook in my heart. Jesus died for me. He died for me. Let that be a hook in my heart that holds me day and day out. When I'm wrestling with, how do I live my life? Is it really worth it being this exile in this world? Is it really worth it? Can't I just be like everyone else? No, no. Let there be a hook in me. Let there be a hook that says, Jesus died for you, Stephen. 
He gave his life for you, that you could be free from sin and guilt and shame, and you can live differently from everyone else around you. You don't need to live like they do. Let there be this hook in my heart. Let there be a hook. In 1 Corinthians 6.20, Paul writes, same theme, you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your body. And lastly, maybe second to last, sorry, uh, we're called to, to love our new family. To love. Verse 22, since in obedience to the truth, you purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. This, this is a great word here. This brotherly love word is Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Not by accident is the city in America named that. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. So the church is called to be a place whereby we find brotherly love. Brotherly, sisterly love. And there, there are two things here to say. It should be sincere. Otherwise, without hypocrisy. And the word to designate actors on the stage was associated with that word, hypocritical. Because they'd have one mask and then they'd have another. And so the point is that our love for one another should be without hypocrisy. Meaning, we shouldn't pretend we're one thing and then be another the next day, the next week. That is a hard thing, brothers and sisters, isn't it? It's hard because it demands disclosure. It it means that when someone says, hey, how's it going? And you're like, well, and then you say how you are. Or you say, I'm fine. A very English response. I'm fine. I'm fine. How are you? How are you? How are you? But we've got to get somewhere. We've got to get into the depths of our lives. We've got to share our lives by being sincere. And the other word here is fervent. The love should be fervent, at full stretch, that's the idea. When you see the athletes, they're finishing a race, and they're running for the prize, they're at full stretch, just get there, get there. That's the idea of this kind of love, at full stretch, giving all that you've got. And I think this, the challenge for a church as we grow, this is really important. Because the bigger the church gets, the easier it's going to be to come in through the doors, to sit down, to not talk to anyone, to enjoy the great worship, to enjoy the the preaching or whatever, and then leave with a coffee without really engaging in relationship. That's not what I'm reading here. Brotherly love, Philadelphia love, that's sincere, that's fervent. That kind of love is what we must have as we grow as a church. Otherwise, we'll just grow hollow. We'll be a big number without substance. No one wants to be like that. We want the substance of this New Testament life. We want to live it out, right? We want to have genuine relationships, which is why at the start of my sermon, I said to you, turn around, say hello to someone next to you. That wasn't by accident. It was a little excuse to use the water bottle. But I wanted you to say hello to people that you don't really know yet. That's why I appeal to you, if you're a member of the church, be in a small group. Be in a small group. How can you live out Philadelphia love by yourself? How can you? How can you share your life? How can you allow your life to be shared with others by yourself? And I know it's difficult. And I know sometimes I'm tired. I've been at work all day. I don't want to go out to my small group. 
They always do potatoes every week. I don't want a potato. (laughs) I understand that. I get it. But we're talking about Philadelphia love. Fervent Philadelphia love without hypocrisy. Where do you live that out? Where do you live that out? So, brothers and sisters, as we grow, and we will grow as a church, let's, let's grow meaningfully. Let's grow in, sub, in, in genuine substance. Let's not grow out like a balloon that's hollow in the middle, waiting to be burst. Because there are churches that are like that, and we've seen it before. Big, big churches, it all hangs on one leader. And the leader retires or something happens, and then pop, everyone's gone. Everyone's gone because they weren't ever in relationship one with each other, really. It was just a, it was a hollow thing. Let's not live like that. Let's not live like that. And lastly, and this is the lastly, so that does mean I'm finishing. Great. They're called to be confident that this is God's work. Born again, again, he says, he finishes, we're born again according to the word of God. All flesh is like grass. And it's glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. The word of the Lord endures forever. There's things that pass, and there's things that don't. And we can draw our confidence in the things that don't. The word of the Lord doesn't pass. Have confidence in this word. This is a word that gets people saved. This word that we've got here, this word it sees lives completely changed. There, there's nothing else like it. Politics doesn't change a life. It changes how people live. It doesn't change their heart. Never going to change their heart. Religion doesn't change their heart. Religion will tell people, oh, live like this, live like this, live like this, then you'll feel better. No. This is the word that changes hearts, changes lives. This is the word that endures forever. It will not fade. You can rely upon it. You can give yourself. You can be the exile in this world. And that's okay. Because I've got this word. This word endures forever. Now, I know this is kind of a slightly whistle-stop tour. I've missed some things. If people have been reading this carefully, you'll know, oh, you missed this, you missed that. I'm sorry. Sorry, didn't have enough time. Read it at your leisure later. But band will come back if you could, it's very kind. And we're going to, let's respond for the time that we have, which is about 10 minutes. We respond in worship. If things have been touched, if this passage is like, cause any, what's the word? Alarm bells is the wrong word, but if it's kind of provoked anything in you and you want someone to stand with you in prayer, then yes, come forward to the front. We'll pray for you. If you, Maybe you're feeling tested. Oh God, I'm tested, I want to give up don't want to go on, fine. We'll stand with you. That's why we're here. We're here together. You're struggling in holiness. We've already had a couple of prophetic words. If if you haven't responded, if that's you, come forward. We'll pray with you. If you want to be born again, if you're not, if you've listened to all of this and you're like, hang on a second, born again? I'd love that. If you're not and you want to eat, then we would love to pray with you. Father, thank you for your words. We thank you that you speak to us. And we want to respond in joy. These, these passages, it talks about inexpressible joy. It talks, we haven't seen him. We lo- Steady, steady. 
Uh, that's okay. We've got another guitar, I'm sure. Lord Jesus, we haven't seen you, and we love you. Lord, we don't see you, we believe in you. Lord, we pray, stir our hearts. Stir our hearts to worship you now. Stir our hearts. Amen.